Amen. We are finishing up our, our series on end times, and, and we've studied uh, our world, what we don't see, the spiritual world, what's going on behind the scenes, and then we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, what will our world be like in the future, and so we're finishing it this week. Uh, next week, we're going to go into a, just a two-week series on, on uh, with Easter coming up. We're excited. Next week, we're going to talk about Christ's death, and the week after that, we're going to talk about his resurrection, and then the week after that, I'm real excited. We're going to be starting a, a two-month series, series through the book of Nehemiah. And what we're going to be looking at is, is the person of Nehemiah was incredible, how he came to Jerusalem and all the walls were destroyed, the gates were destroyed, the, their spiritual lives were disordered. And this one man, Nehemiah, came and helped rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in just 52 days as he, as he rallied the people of God around him to do a great work, not only physically in the walls, but spiritually. And what we're going to do is, over those next two months, we're going to look at topics of how we can rebuild the walls in our lives and in the lives of, of our church, in the community of our church, we're going, to have a, we're going to actually have a wall in the front of the church, a literal wall, a broken down wall. And each week, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a brick, not a real brick, but a, that looks like a brick or a stone. And each week, we're going to rebuild the walls. We're going to look at rebuilding our walls spiritually. We're going to be looking, rebuilding our walls through prayer, rebuilding our walls financially, rebuilding the walls of our marriage, rebuilding the walls of our community. And so I want you to be in prayer for this. This is just such an exciting series. It's, it's going to be a campaign that, that hopefully will just, just affect and touch uh, the whole church as, as a whole. And so that's going to start the week after uh, Easter. So please be in, in prayer for that. But what I want to look at today is we just finish up this series um, on, on our world and, and end times is I want to look at what, what exactly is going to happen after we die. I think that's, that's probably one of the uh, questions that everybody asks one time or another in their, in their lives, what actually happens after we die? Is it just we die and then that's it? We die for years that are believers, we just go to heaven and we all get harps and we play the harp on some cloud? Is that all we do? Well, what actually happens after we die? And the Bible is very specific about what actually happens. And we know that Christ will return just as he came uh, in the form of a baby and lived amongst our earth some plus 30 years, died in a cross, rose through his resurrection, ascended into heaven, now sits at the right hand of the Father. We know that he told us that he will come back for his church and we don't know the time when he comes back but he tells us in Matthew 24 he says the day and the hour is unknown and this is what he told us he says but the day or the hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son but the father as it was in the days of Noah so it will be at the coming of the son of man for the days before the flood people were eating drinking marrying and giving into marriage up to, up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, the other la uh, left. And here's the warning that Jesus gives us. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day 
your Lord will come. I want you to notice the words there. Jesus says, keep watch, be ready, don't be caught off guard. And so as we think about eternity, maybe for some people, the only time they ever think about eternity is when they go to a funeral. But what happens after we die should be the greatest question on our mind, and many times it never gets answered. And we have the Word of God that shows us exactly what happens to comfort us, to give us hope about the future, not to be worried, not to be fearful, not to be afraid of death. In fact, now we embrace it knowing that because Christ has conquered death, He said, for those that follow me, even though you die, you live. So that's the hope that we have as believers, that our life here on earth is not a waste. We have a purpose for why we're living our lives here on earth, and that's to express and to tell other people that Jesus is alive. That's the good news. And so as we enter into this Easter season, that's the bottom line. That's the good news, that Jesus is alive. He conquered the grave. And so that's the glad tidings. That's the good news that we need to share with the world, that even though... We walk in sin and we're born in sin. We don't have to die in our sins. And that by trusting Christ, we can find forgiveness of our sin and death no longer holds us captive. So, you know, this is what I want to talk about because in the Bible, the Bible specifically tells us there is a heaven and there is a hell. And it's interesting. We we love to talk about heaven. We like to tell people, oh, when they die, oh, they're just in 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 a better place. And and the Bible speaks about a a literal heaven and it speaks about a literal hell. And and we may think, well, wait a minute, pastor, doesn't doesn't everybody just get to go to heaven? Isn't isn't heaven the default for everybody? Because we all want to think those happy thoughts. But the problem is the Bible does speak of a literal hell. And so we would think that heaven is the default. But let me say first this morning that heaven isn't the default Literally and and factually, hell is the default. You say, wow, pastor, I should have slept in this morning. Uh, But let let me explain to you why this is, because it seems like such a harsh teaching. You say, Pastor, that, that, that's so hard. That, that doesn't give me, give me any, any comfort. But I want you to, I want, before we jump into what happens after we die and, 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 and what are some key things that, that we can see that is happening in the end times, before we do that, we need to understand the, the character of God. We need to understand that God is not unfair or callous in his decisions because you may think, well, that, that just makes God out to be some mean ogre in the sky that's, that's saying, you can go here and you can, and, and you can go there. And it just makes God out to be some mean dictator. But in fact, God is perfectly fair in all his dealings. And so to understand this, we need to understand the character of God. And let me, let me lay this out for you this morning, this foundation, because you will not understand end times until you understand the character of God and why does God deal with this and why is there these end times and why is there going to be this judgment on the world. Let me first say this about God's character, that God is just in all his dealings. He is perfectly fair in all that he does. So what does this mean? God is fair in all his dealings. He makes no mistakes. He is a righteous judge and his judgments are perfect without mistakes. Why? Because this attribute of God flows out of his holiness. 
He is perfect in all he does. If, if God was not fair in his judgments, he would not be in acting in accordance with his holiness. And so in order for God to be fair and a righteous judge, he must judge our sin. And so you need to understand when we rebelled, when man and woman rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, we understand that sin entered in and we take on that nature of Adam in our lives. Every single one of us are born with sin and something has to be done to make that right. That's the whole reason why Jesus came. If I could deal with my sin issue myself by through my good works, there's no need for the cross. There's no reason to celebrate Easter, right? So we know that there's a problem. And that's the reason why God sent his son. So our sin, think of it this way. Our sin is a crime against God and the penalty is death and separation from God. So instead of blaming God and saying, well, God, you're unfair and why do you do this? We need to look in the mirror. Can I get an amen? So we need to look in ourselves and say, wait a minute, this isn't God's fault. This is our fault. We rebelled against God. We refused to acknowledge him. Read Romans chapter 1. Paul explains the heart of man that even though they knew the creator, they saw the stars in the heaven, they saw this wonderful creation, they, they refused to, to worship the one that created all these things. And what did they do? They worshiped created things and made gods out of them. And so that was the that, that was the frutal uh, thinking of their heart to think, why, why do we need to worship this creator? Why would, why would we want to do this? We created all these things. We can create these images and we can begin to worship them. So our sin is a crime against God and the penalty is death and separation from God. If someone breaks a law or murders someone, a fair judge would not let them go free. They must pay for their guilt. And when we think about our lives, Every single one of us are guilty of breaking God's law, and so we deserve to go to hell. The verdict is we are all guilty. The gavel goes down. You are guilty because of your sin. So we have to, we have to think, okay, well, how do I overcome that guilt? By just being a good person? And God says, no, that's not good enough because when you juxtapose your life next to my holiness, you will always fall short of my perfection. God loves us so much that he was willing to give us his son to pay the debt that we could never pay. And so Christ is the only one that could do that. And, and it's for this simple reason that he was perfect. Jesus was perfect in every way so he could appease a holy God. So that makes Jesus Christ so unique. It's through his righteous death that he paid the penalty for us and appeased God's righteous judgment. So through Christ, God's justice was not violated, but in fact satisfied. That's good news for all of us. It, his justice was not violated. God didn't let down his standards. In fact, through Christ's perfect death, it satisfied God's holiness. God's wrath and anger towards our sin was poured out upon his son, 2,000 years ago. That's what makes the death and resurrection of Christ so beautiful because he did it for you and I as a substitute. He gave his perfect life as being God himself for you and I. So God basically has done everything for us. So that makes us without excuse. The only ones we have to blame is ourselves. 
And pride is the difficult thing, the difficult obstacle for us to overcome. So I want you to understand this. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We, through our own pride and refusal to come to Christ by faith, send ourselves there. So the blame isn't with God, it's with me. So we need to take responsibility for our sins. We, see, see, we want, here's the, oh, this drives me crazy when I talk to people you know, about the Lord and about what it means to have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You see, we want all the benefits of God without the consequences. Right? We, we want to live the way we do and the way we want to live, but yet we don't want to face the consequences of the way we live. So we just want to say, well, God's loving and he's just and, and I can still live the way I want and still go to heaven. Doesn't work that way. Wouldn't work that way with the judge. You can't just go around just murdering people and not think you're not going to pay for the consequences of your actions. That judge would be a horrible judge and would not be sitting on the bench. Amen? So God acts the same way. He is perfect and Holly does. So God will judge the world for their lives and they will have to give an account. The Bible tells us that every single person will give an account for their life. Every single person will give an account for their life. Now, we don't like that. We don't like accountability. We don't like to have to answer to somebody. And this is what plays into the end times. You say, well, pastor, why did you just talk about all that? I talk about all this for this reason. This fits perfectly into the end times because the Bible tells us that every single person will have to stand before their creator and give an account for their lives. This is so important because this is so pivotal in the teaching about end times. Each of us will have to stand before God and give an account. The Hebrew writer says this in Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes what? Judgment. Very important teaching here. So Christ, having been offered up once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. That's pretty good news, isn't it? So here's what I want you to understand. He says, first comes death, then comes judgment. We all have one life to live before we are judged. Now this very verse repudiates any idea of a second chance after we die, whether it's through reincarnation or the teaching of purgatory where you can pray for somebody that's dead and if you pray for them long enough, hopefully they'll get out of this holding tank, and they can be made right before God. This very verse here repudiates any teaching that anyone will have a second chance after they die. That should scare the pants off of every single one of us in this place. For this very reason is that I'm not promised tomorrow. And if I'm not promised tomorrow, then I need to understand what is my, what am I doing today in my life? Is my life right before God today? Because if I'm not promised tomorrow and I die, then I'm going to be judged. And if my heart is not made right before Christ, I've got a lot of things to think about. And, and how many of us, we just put, put death out there. We just said, we don't want to think about it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to think about it. But none of us are promised tomorrow. 
We all have but, but one life to live before we are judged. And, and so this verse is very important. So the final judgment will come after Christ returns. So Jesus will return as judge in his second coming. Not as a little baby, but he's going to come back as king of kings and Lord of lords, where the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they will give it, whether they believe in him or not, it's not going to really matter. Christ is going to come back and whether or not they serve him or they don't serve him, for, for those of us that are followers of Christ, we will worship him and thank him for being judged, right? Because our sins are already forgiven. But for those whose sins aren't forgiven, that's going to be a pretty sad day. Because all the times and all the messages and all the chances they had to repent from their sins, they're going to stand before the righteous judge and be judged in their sin. So end times, as you read through the book of Revelation, are a lot of cool things and wars and this and that going on. But really, end times really revolves around one theme, that God's going to make things right. And God will be a righteous judge. And all of us will give an account to that righteous judge. That's really what it revolves around. So Jesus will return as judge in his second coming. And those who have repented and trusted Christ by faith will be spared from God's judgment. And so what I want to do, if you, if you took the challenge and you read through the, the book of Revelation, you notice that there's some judgments within the book of Revelation. And, and I want to talk about two judgments that believers in Christ will face and the judgment that unbelievers will face. And so the Bible gives us two major types of judgment. And these are the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment that some of you may have read in Revelation chapter 20. And we'll get to that in a moment. Let's first look at the judgment seat of Christ that the Bible talks about. Now, here's the judgment seat of Christ that everyone who follows Christ Jesus will have to stand before. And this takes place after the return of Christ and the resurrection of those Christians who have died. And there's many Bible scholars that, that understand this, and this is the view that I take, that there will be two separate judgments, one for the believer in Christ and one for the unbeliever. And many scholars take the one for believers out of Luke 14, this parable. And let me just... Let me just, instead of reading the whole thing, let me just give, it, give you this parable in Luke 14 in a nutshell. It says, Jesus shared a parable about throwing a party. And he says, don't invite your rich neighbors or your relatives or those people who would repay you or invite you back. But he said, instead, invite the poor and the destitute, those who could no way repay you back. And it's interesting. Jesus says this as recorded in Luke 14, 14. And he says, if you do this, you will be blessed. For what reason? That you'll be blessed right away? No, because they can't repay you, right? When we, when we give a gift to somebody and someone says thank you and they give you a thank you note, you, you're already repaid, right? You got your thank you. You got your pat, pat on the back. But what Jesus is saying, no, think of it this way. Invite people who could no way repay you back. You're not going to get a thank you. How many have ever done something for someone really nice and they never said thank you? Didn't that get under your skin sometimes? 
I know some of you get it. You may, ah, man, I did this and I never got a thank you. You know, one time, you know, I had, I had all these packages and I saw some people walking through the door and I'm fumbling these packages because I was shopping with my wife and you don't know how that goes. But anyways, so I'm holding this and I'm opening the door for all these people to come through. And it was like, I was there for, for probably 45 minutes. Cause no, I'm just, people just kept coming through and coming through. And so I remember and people were nice. Some people were nice. And, 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 and so finally the last, I'm like, oh, I can't hold this door open. And so I slammed it right somebody's no I, I kept the door of this one person they never said thank you so when that person walked through I said do you realize that I've been standing here for five minutes and you have the audacity not to say thank you who do you think you are no I didn't say that okay I wanted to it's like well, why don't people say thank you anymore why aren't they polite anymore don't you see all this stuff that I'm doing and Jesus says here wait a minute these people can never repay you. So the reason for throwing the party many times is, is we want to impress people so they can thank us. And then, and then in return, they can invite us to their party. But Jesus said, wait, 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 don't do that. Just invite the destitute that no way could ever repay you. And here's the verse in Luke 14, 14. And he says, if you do this, you will be blessed. It says, although they cannot repay you, Here's the kicker, ready? You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What in the world? Now, a lot of commentaries and, and a lot of Bible commentaries won't even touch this verse. It's, it's interesting they won't touch it. And the reason why they don't touch it is because they're not sure what's going on. Well, I can tell you what's going on here. What they're talking about is the judgment seat of Christ for believers. That's what, that, that's what Jesus talked about. He says, listen, they can't repay you there, but you will be judged. You will give an account for the things that you have done for Christ. Now, now before everyone gets scared, and they think, well, if I'm a follower of Christ, is God going to judge me for my sins? No, no, you're already forgiven. It, this isn't a judgment of your sin. This is a judgment for what you have done in Christ. Your works don't save you. We get that. It's by our faith in Christ Jesus, by, by God's wonderful grace that we are saved. But when we are in Christ, aren't we supposed to do good works in Jesus' name to glorify him? Not to obtain righteousness, not to obtain God's favor. That's all done through Christ and through God's grace. But we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, Ephesians 2.10, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen? So th this, this judgment is really a judgment of, 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 uh, 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 a judgment of what have you done for me? What, what, what are things you're doing for Christ? So what Jesus is speaking about is the judgment seat after the, after the righteous are resurrected. Now we also see this judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, for we, we all must appear before the judgment seat of who? Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, if you look at 2 Corinthians 5, the context there is believers. He's speaking to the church. So the judgment seat of Christ is for the followers of Jesus only. And this judgment is not for the purpose of condemnation or damnation unlike the great white throne judgment which we're going to talk about in a moment this judgment is for the purpose of rewards we have already obtained our salvation through christ however we will be rewarded for what we have done in him 
Now, you may have heard this, the Bema Seat Judgment. Where we get Bema from is from the word judgment seat in the Greek. And so you need to understand, what does the word Bema, besides a really cool song, if you guys remember me like in the 80s when you listened to the Christian group Petra, Anybody remember? Okay, I'm not even going to go there. Good, some of you. All right, they had a great song called The Bema Seat. It was just cool. I used to rock out on it when I was a 16-year-old teenager. Love Jesus, great stuff. Uh, YouTube it today when you go home. You'll love it. It's just a, it's a great song. And also, there's actually a toilet seat company called Bema Seat. I thought that's kind of cool. Just, okay, just, it's true. I'm just telling you. It's just, you're sitting on the Bema Seat. Some of you may have Bema Seat toilet seats. I just... Was that wrong of me to say? Anyway, okay, let's move on. Okay, so let's understand. What is this Bema Seat? The Bema Seat in ancient Greek culture is where a judge would sit not to issue a verdict, but to give awards. In the ancient Olympic Games, an athlete would receive a victor's crown made out of a wreath. This was actually a joyous occasion. Uh, the, the, the crown of, of how well we obeyed Christ. And the Bible speaks of five different crowns, one of them being the crown of life, the, the promise of eternal life. The, and, and, and let's understand something. This is not for bragging rights. This is not to say, hey, my wreath, my crown is bigger than yours. Nah, 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 nah. You know, that, that's not, because I believe we're going to lay those crowns right back down at Jesus' feet. So I think it's the purpose here is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Can you imagine standing before the Lord and saying, Jesus, I did this for you anyways, and I want to glorify you. And Jesus looks at us and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you for serving me. Thank you for doing this for me. Thank you for sacrificing this for me. Thank you for doing everything for my glory and not your own glory. Right? Man, I hope my crown isn't this big, right? Because everything that we've done for Christ will, if it's not done for Christ, will be burned up. And the things that I've done for myself will, will be burned up, but the things that I've done for Christ will last forever. And man, if I'm living right now as a believer in Christ, man, I want my heart to be right before Jesus that the things I'm doing are really for Him. God, Inspect and judge my heart that I'm doing things that ultimately please you and not myself. Because I know one day that I'm going to have to stand before you and give an account for the things that I did in my body while under your wonderful hand. As I followed you and as I professed you as Lord and Savior, God, am I doing things for you? Have I done things for you? And that's a great heart check. You know what? It's good that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ because every single one of us will have to give an account. And when you know that you're going to have to give an account for what you've done for Jesus Christ, doesn't it help you to live your life a little bit differently here on earth? It, accountability, listen, accountability is a good thing. For some reason, we don't like accountability because we feel like someone is judging us or, or second-guessing us. But accountability is good because it, it keeps us on the right road. We all have to be accountable to someone. It's amazing to me how many people, they want to tell people what to do, but they don't want people telling them what to do. 
They want to be the one that gives all the suggestions. But then when someone has to give an account for their life and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, can I speak in your life? No, 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 you can't speak into my life. And that's why I think a lot of times we live these isolated lives because when we get close to people, come on, when we start getting close to people, we become vulnerable and we become more open and we allow people to inspect our lives. We don't like that. We want people just to get so close because we don't really want them to know really what's going on in our lives because we don't want to be judged. But the opposite should be true. We should be accountable to one another. We should be able to be open and vulnerable because we have blind spots in our lives that we don't see and maybe someone else sees it that through love speaks into our life to spare our lives. Not to judge our lives, but to spare our lives. So the accountability uh, that we have before Christ is, is, is not to harm us and to point the finger, you didn't do enough, Barden, but to actually reward us to make sure that my heart is right before the Lord that I'm doing the things that I need to do before Him. So it's important that we understand that this accountability that we're going to have before the Lord is one for rewards, but that how am I living my life today? Am I open? Am I accountable? Am I allowing myself to be vulnerable in the areas that I know that I'm weakened so that people can pray for me? Am I open and vulnerable in the struggles in my life or do I hide those because I'm too fearful of what people may think? I'm fearful of how people might judge me. If we live within the community of the church and we're open and vulnerable to one another and we have people praying for us, it protects us from sin and the deceptiveness of sin and we won't be led astray. Amen? So this is a good thing. So that's the... Bema seat judgment of Christ that believers will have to stand for. And that's after, uh, when we are in heaven, after the uh, resurrection of those through the rapture that we talked about last week. Now, here's the other one. The other one is the great white throne judgment that is talked about in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, where the dead are judged. And listen to what John is given here, the vision that he's given about this this judgment. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence. Which is interesting about this because God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where we will live forever and ever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. It's great in Revelation 21. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books, isn't that interesting? Books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which will be the eternal place for all those who have rejected Christ, for the devil and his angels and all those who have rejected Christ. And the lake of fire is what? The second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Isn't it interesting that even with Jesus' disciples, when they were all pumped up about casting out demons, hey, look at what we're doing. Woo, we're casting out demons. Man, you, your name is all powerful and you have all authority. And, and, and 
And Jesus is like, hey, don't get so excited about that. Get excited that your name is written. Because that's much more important than the fun things that you're having about casting out demons, right? That's the thing that is most important. Because there are some that are going to come to Jesus and they're going to say, Jesus, didn't we do these great things in your name? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we heal? Didn't we do all these great things in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Which means that word new is intimate. I didn't have a really a relation. You used my name. You were religious. You did things that were in my name, but I never knew. You were, your heart was not changed. You were not born again. I never knew you. And basically what Jesus is saying is, your name wasn't written here. You may have done all these great things for me, but your name wasn't written in the book of life. And so this is important because this judgment was for those who actually refused Christ. So here's, here's going back to the beginning of my message when I said heaven is not the default. The lake of fire is the default, not heaven. Jesus didn't say, oh, you were a good person. Okay, well, that was good enough. No, he says, only for those who have trusted me. So the lake of fire is not the default. I mean, the lake of fire is the default, not heaven. And so we need to understand that God is the ultimate judge here. Now, you may say, well, pastor, that just seems so harsh. But let me put it this way so that you understand. If someone got away with a horrible atrocity and you know that they got away with it, wouldn't you say that that's not fair? We would. There would be a huge outcry that would say, this is not fair. Can I just burst your bubble a little bit this morning? Life is not fair. And I love to teach that to my kids. You know, we get the shamrock shakes. One has a little bit less shamrock than the other. And they're like, that's not fair. I'm like, I'm not going back there and have them fill it up because you know what? Life isn't fair. Suck it up or I'll drink it, okay? <laughs> Lily's crying. Stop crying. It's, uh, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> See, let, let's put it this way. Here's what's really not fair. What's not fair is Christ went to the cross for me when I was a sinner. That's not fair. What's not fair is Christ suffered for me when he was perfect and, and innocent. That's not fair. It's not fair that he was beat and broken, given a, a crown made of thorns that were thrust upon his head where he bled. That's not fair. It's not fair that they took whips that were laced with bone and, and, and rocks and, and, and wrapped around his back where the flesh was torn off his back where he almost bled to death before he even got to the cross to where he couldn't even carry the cross himself. That's not fair. It's not fair that he was beat and placed on a cross to have nails driven in his hands and feet and to die a horrible death. That's not fair. It's, it's not fair that Jesus took the wrath of God that should have been placed upon me. That's not fair. 
Yet through God's wonderful, beautiful, amazing grace, he didn't even spare his own son for you and I. That's not fair. You see, God is more fair than you will ever realize. And we need to fall on his grace and mercy and just thank him for his goodness and for his grace. God has been more fair with you and I than you will ever believe. I, I deserve death the times I've cussed him and the times I've lied and the times I've done things that were unfruitful for his holy name. I should have been struck down with lightning right there. But yet God's word says that God heartbeat, his desire and his will that all would come to repentance. He is merciful and he is patient with you and I at this moment. God is more than fair. How many times have God reached out to you and reached out to you and reached out to you and gave you food on your table and supplied your needs and we never ever once recognized him. How many times have we had a bountiful meal before us and we never bowed our heads just to give him thanks for what he has provided for us? And God says, I've given this all to you, but yet you refuse to recognize me. Yet God was patient and merciful, waiting for us to repent and to recognize that we have fallen short of his perfection. You see, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I was, uh, I just want the worship team to come, come at this time and just begin to play. We're just going to spend a little time in prayer just as we close this morning. But I just want to share this story with you. I had a chance to talk to somebody the other day. It was interesting, this person had their really own theology about God and were really hurt by the church and made a lot of sense. I'm like, hey, hey, I'm not here to argue with you about the church. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of atrocities. There's a lot of bad things that have gone on, blah, blah, blah. And, 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 and this person really had a view of God that was really skewed. And, and I can understand why this person believed that. But I, I, I asked this person this, this one question because they felt like they were okay and that they lived a good enough life that would get them into heaven. And, um, and, and basically their view of God is, well, as long as I do good things, you know, God is going to be faithful. And it was the old default is heaven, not, not hell. And so I said, um, uh, I said to this person, I said, are you absolutely 100% sure that all your sins are forgiven? Are you sure? I mean, are you just absolutely 100% sure that all your sins are forgiven? And it, this look that came over their face was just like, I'm not sure. I said, how do you know that you've done enough good things in order for all your sins to be forgiven? And they're like, well, I, I, I think. I go, I'm not asking you to think. Stop thinking. No, I didn't say it that way. I said, I'm not asking you to think. I'm just saying, do you know that you know that all your sins are forgiven, that God would allow... Because I said, if God's a righteous judge, right, he, he's not going to allow anything unholy into his presence, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that. So I, th I said, well, then how do you know that you're going to heaven? Because you seem pretty confident in that, which is good. You seem pretty confident. How do you know? And she goes, well, 
you know, I'm not real positive. You see, the problem, people, is that we base our righteousness on our own standards. And so what she was doing, she was not based on the Bible and what God has said, but just on what she felt and based on how bad the church was. And I'm better than all these corrupt so-called clergy and everything like that. And so she's basing on that, that because of that, God's going to let her, in I go, let her into heaven. I go, do you realize that all of us have fallen short of God? The Bible says that we've all fallen short of God's glory and His perfection. And that the gift of God has to come through Christ Jesus because He was perfect. And so I said to her, I said, you know what? I know that I'll go to heaven. I know. I, I'm sure. She goes, really? I said, yeah. I know that if I were to kick over right now and die and have a heart attack that I would go to heaven. I said, do you want to have that same assurance too? Do you? She's like, yeah, I do. I said, well, let me tell you how. Can I tell you how? Because I got the good news for you. I go, let me tell you how. It's got nothing to do with what I've done because I'm a sinner that's saved by grace. And I'm going to make a mistake tomorrow and I'm going to make a mistake next week and I'm going to make a mistake two months from now. But guess what? I said, Jesus' death paid for my past failures, my present failures, and my future failures. His blood on the cross covers it all. So I looked at her and said, why are you trying to make up for it when Jesus already did it 2,000 years ago? I never thought of that. That's the gospel message. It's so simple. And we make it so hard. Does that mean that God does not want you to live a righteous life? Of course. Does that mean he doesn't want you to sin? Of course. He won't. But guess what? When I do make a mistake, that doesn't mean I automatically go to hell now. Because I'm a child of God now. And I'm blood-bought. And I'm covered in his forgiveness. That the Bible says that when I make a mistake, I can confess my sins and he is faithful and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. That's the hope that I have. Because if I didn't have that hope, I'm such a miserable failure so many times, I would live such a defeated Christian walk because I would be so worried that, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? I hope so. I hope so. You don't have to hope. Put your trust in Christ. And you don't have to fear the coming judgment. So now I want to live my life in accordance to what Christ desires for me. And there's so much peace with that. And there's so much freedom in that. Because God pours His grace out upon our life. Amen. So as we deal with one another, let's be patient, right? We're all a work in progress, right? Nobody's as spiritual as you guys are. I realize that, okay? But let's be patient. That He, the song we sang, that He that began a good work is faithful to completed. So here's what I want to do this morning. As we pray, as we sing this last song, and we commit our hearts to Jesus Christ, there may be some of you here in this place, and you're just kind of, there's that seed of doubt. You're saying, I'm not really sure if all my sins are forgiven. There's that seed of doubt where you're thinking, have I done enough to, to please God? So there's that little seed of doubt. I want you to walk out of this place knowing that you're free in Christ and that he's forgiven you. There are some of you here today, you're, you, you're walking in, in some guilt and condemnation because you feel like you're not that good of a Christian like the, the Christian over here. And you're like, man, I, 
I just don't measure. I don't even want to go to church anymore because I just can't measure up to these super, you know, mega Christians over here. I just feel like a failure so many times in my life because they seem so successful as, as Christians and I feel like such a failure. Will you get over that? Will you get over that? And just fall at Jesus' feet and let him do the work in your heart. He wants to use you. But stop comparing yourself with other people. Christ gives you gifts that he desires to flow from your heart. He gives you those spiritual gifts. And he desires for that to flow forth from your heart. So stop comparing yourself. Stop trying to be somebody that you're not. Amen. Amen. I felt like such a failure when I first became a Christian because I thought the only way you could become a Christian is you had to sing on that worship band. That was the only thing for Christians. You had to know how to sing and play an instrument. I said, I can do a kazoo, you know, but I can't play an instrument. I can't sing. I always remember my youth pastor came up to me and said, Barden, I just see something in you. You're a real good encourager. And what I want you to do is, as new kids come into the youth group, I want you to be a greeter and I want you to sit with them. I'm like, really? I can do that? Yeah, you can. Really? I thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm a greeter, and I'm an encourager, and I'm going to sit with new kids, and I couldn't wait to go to youth group on Wednesday and every week. So if there's a new person, I was like a bee to honey. I just, all over them like white on rice. I was like, hey, are you new? First time here? You're sitting with me. Sit with me, and you're going to accept Jesus as your Savior, and you're going to like it. It's the way it happens. It's the way it works around here, okay? But there was something that the youth pastor encouraged me, a gift that he saw within me and stirred it, like Paul said to Timothy, stir that gift that was given to you, and it stirred within my heart. And I said, okay, God, great. You can use me in this gift. I maybe not be able to sing or play an instrument, but you can use me in this way. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. I want you to bow your hearts. And let's just pray and ask God just to help us and, and just... For some of you that are just feeling that guilt or that condemnation or some of you that just feel like you can't be used by the Lord, let's just pray that God just heals you of that today. So, Lord, I pray right now for every heart here today. Lord, I pray for those that maybe have not confessed you as Lord and Savior and made a profession of faith. I pray that they do that now. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved, that you would cover them in your blood, that there is no more guilt or condemnation, that they can stand before the judgment seat of Christ in freedom without any condemnation or judgment, that they'll walk out of this place without any of that fear. I pray for those here today that feel like, Lord, I just can't measure up to, to, to other Christians and there's this guilt and I, I just feel like I can't be used by you. Lord, I, I pray that you would just heal their thinking of that, their mind of that, to let them know that you desire to give gifts to them, God, to be used for your glory. It can be as, as small as, as giving a cup of cold water to somebody in need. It can be as small as writing a letter of encouragement to somebody just to tell them that you're praying for them, God. Lord, just give us boldness in knowing that you want to use us for your glory, God. And so give us boldness to take that step of faith to move forward to be used by you, God. Not for our glory, but for your glory, God. So I thank you for this body. I thank you for this church, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would bring that healing to our lives. And we just love you and praise you. And thank you for using us. Thank you for everything you've done for us. And we just give you the glory in Jesus' mighty name. And
Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing this unto the Lord and let's just give him glory. Just make it your prayers. God bless you. profession of faith in Christ today for the first time. Would you say any of the Bibles are in the back of the seats. You can take those. Those are, those are free. Also, there's a booklet in the back as you walk out on the information table called What Now? That's free. Please take that. That'll help you with your 
in your walk with the Lord. And also, the, any cars that you see on the seats that you'd like to take, there's two or three or four or 20 people you want to invite to church on, on uh, Easter Sunday. By all means, take those cars and use those to hand out to your family and friends and, and co-workers. Isn't God good? Let's just give him praise for his grace and his goodness today. God is good. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for being so attentive to God's word. God bless you. Go in his grace today. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Let me rediscover